So when I was a little kid, uh, what I really liked to do when I would eat cereal, they had like little puzzles on the back of the cereal box. Anybody with me today? Anybody experience that? Okay, good. You don't have to be a kid. You can still do them, just so you know. It's, that's just what the deal is. Um, but one of the puzzles that I really liked that was often on the back of Frosted Mini Wheats uh, was a, a puzzle that just talked about spotting the differences. Ben, you want to put that picture up for me? Uh, that'd be great. So I thought we could play a little spot the differences uh, this morning so you can look. I'm not going to give you long. I'm going to give you like 10 more seconds. Five, four, three. Okay, Bam, you want to show us? Small differences. Hard to spot. You want to go to the next one? I think the next one's a donut. Yes. So good. Okay, see if you can spot the differences. Give you a few more seconds. All right, Bam, you want to show us? Small differences. And we're in this series in the, the book of Colossians, and Paul is writing this letter to a community of Jesus followers. And you've been told before that they're new Jesus followers. Like these are not people that grew up in church. These are not people who attended Sunday school and who know the stories and who were forced to go to church on Christmas Eve and hold the candle with all of the trepidation in their little heart that their hand is not going to get burned by the wax. That's not the kinds of people we're talking about. We're talking about people who believed lots of other kinds of things about themselves and about the world, but then they meet Jesus. And there's this question that Paul wants to bring to the forefront of the minds of the Colossian church. And it has to do with what changes. So, like, what changes about a person when they come into contact with the message of Jesus? Like, what differences is the gospel, the message of Jesus, supposed to make in a person's life? Like, what changes and what doesn't? You know, Paul knows something that's true, that you can spend a life examining and focusing on the fruit that is produced in your life. But it's also possible to spend a life arguing about doctrine and Doctrine is important. Doctrine has a role. We need to have a firm grasp on what it is actually that we believe about ourselves, about God, and about the world. But Paul knows about Jesus. And Jesus has this relationship in the scriptures with the religious leaders, like the people who knew the most about God and his law in the world. And what's Jesus' problem with the religious leaders? What's his problem with the Pharisees? What's his problem with the teachers of the law? Can I just tell you that this is his problem? Like nothing's changed. So the person that you were before is the same person that you are now. And it's maybe kind of funny, like up on the screen, like we're talking about like, is there a sprinkle or is there not a sprinkle? But a life that never changes, it's actually not that amusing. It's not that funny. It's sad. 
And so Paul writes this letter to the Colossian church to talk with them about that. So we're in chapter 3 of Colossians. We kind of got to hurry because Christmas is coming. So we're going to do our best to get through it before Christmas. The last couple of weeks, you might get a lot thrown at you. So that's just kind of how that goes. Sometimes you're just not on time for stuff. Anybody in the house? Okay. So Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes these words. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, Griffin got invited, my son Griffin got invited to a birthday party at Sky Zone. And so we're deciding like, oh, should we go? Should we not go? What should we do? We decided to go, so we got our masks all rolling, and we show up at Sky Zone, and we're hanging out and playing. We're still in the stage in life. When you get invited to a birthday party, it's still supervised. Okay, so that's just kind of how we roll in our family. So if somebody gets invited, we all get invited together. And so we're at Sky Zone, and hopefully we aren't in that same frame of mind when he's 17, but I'll let you know how that all works out. So we get to Sky Zone, and we're jumping around doing our thing, and then we make our way over to the dodgeball area. And so I get involved in a dodgeball game uh, with a couple 12-year-olds. And there's one moment uh, when I threw a bright red ball at the left hip of this 12-year-old. Just smacked him right there. And he's not going to sit out. And so I'm mature. And so I was like, hey, you're out. I'm also a former youth pastor. So I have the authority to tell you when you're out and when you're not out. And I looked at him, and I even pointed out, I was like, you're out. And he, and he goes, uh-uh, well, he's not, he's supposed to be out. He didn't sit down. And I'm like, that doesn't have anything to do with you. You're out. Because I'm mature. And this is what Paul is saying. Like, if you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because you died. Like, you're out. That old way of life, out. That old way of speaking, out. That old way of thinking about other people, out. It's done. It's buried. It's supposed to be gone. And there's maybe nothing more tragic than someone who has a, an encounter with Jesus, a, a resurrection moment, and we just pretend that we can stay in the dodgeball arena because other people are. And so Paul wants the Colossian church to understand that there has been a death, and there has been a resurrection, and you can live in light of the death if you want to. Or you can live in light of the resurrection that's happened in your life. And so Paul wants the Colossian church to understand that like, there should be a, there's a new heart in the deal. And that new heart should impact their mind, like the way that they think. 
and their new heart and their new mind should impact their habits, their way of life. And here's what we know that is true. That God has promised that when we come to know him, when we find our identity and life in him, his promise is that we don't have to make a new heart for ourselves. We're giving a new heart. So in the Old Testament, you can have like King David. And what's his prayer? Like, oh God, would you create in me a new heart? Not what you, would you give me the power to do it on my own, but God, would you give me a new heart and renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from your presence? And then we have like moments in the prophets, like in Ezekiel, when the promise from God is that there's a, there's a heart of stone that's within us. And God's going to do something with that heart of stone. He's going to take it and he's going to replace it with what? With a heart of flesh. The idea is that death is being buried and life is rising within the believer. So that's the promise. Like, I will give you a new heart. But let me tell you the reality. There are still habits that we will continue to battle as followers of Jesus. So the promise is we're given a new heart, but the reality is we will still battle our old way of life. We're still going to battle the old thoughts that we had about the world and about ourselves and about others, and we're still going to battle language. We're still going to battle judgment. The idea is that they just don't dissolve. It doesn't just like magically go away. The promise is that I will give you a new heart. But the reality is we will still wrestle, grapple with this old way of life. So Paul says the only way you have a chance, it smells pretty good actually. I don't know what this one is, blueberry passion fruit or something. It's pretty good. The only way you have a chance is if you set your mind and you set your heart in a new place. Because if you set your mind and your heart in the old place, you're going to get the old thing. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind and heart above. So I just have a question this morning. Like, how much of our conversation in the last 100 hours has to do with here? And how much of it has to do with above? Like how much of what we have worried about in the last 100 hours has to do with here? And how much of it has to do with above? Like if you, if you take the last 37 prayers that you prayed, how many of those prayers have to do with here? And not with above. I love there's a Swiss a theologian named Karl Barth. I think we have a quote up on the screen about prayer. He says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. So if you really want to get after it, if you really want to see change and transformation, if you really want to be part of an uprising, to clasp the hands in prayer, that's the beginning of speaking against the disorder of the world.
So, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Then he lists some things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways of life, in the life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things. So if you're like a Bible highlighting person, that whole idea of used and now. You must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, malice, rage, slander, and Filthy language. Let's not forget about the filthy language, which is not a very common Bible term. You don't hear that very much from your lips. And then this is interesting, verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So here, there's no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So Paul says, if this is going to happen, if you're going to set your heart and your mind on things above, not on earthly things, there are some things that need to be put to death. And so he lists them. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires. And then the last one is greed. And let me tell you something, when I was researching this, when I was studying this, I thought I very much knew what he meant by greed. But I was wrong. The more I dug in, the more I studied, I stumbled upon this Greek word for greed, play on exia, and it means longing. So what if greed is not about accumulation? What if greed is not about having more of something? Like more money in your bank account, more comfort, more security, more popularity. More, 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 more. What if that's not what greed is about? What if greed is about longing? What if greed is about desire? And so Paul brings up two categories that need to change. The way they think about sexuality needs to change. And the way they think about anger needs to change. So the Colossians are in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had their way of thinking about sexuality. And basically, like, if you could dream it, it was in. It was a part of the deal. It's kind of like going to Cherry Berry. And you know, you walk how this goes. Like, you go walk into Cherry Berry and you have your dish and then you have like your ice creams, and then you just have everything you could like think of in the world to put on top of your ice cream. Here's what's beautiful about cherry berry. No one steps in front of you and says, excuse me, sir, you cannot put Oreos and cookie dough and sprinkles on the ice cream. They don't do that. You can do that if you want. You can put whatever your heart desires in that little bowl, but here's the deal about cherry berry. There's a moment, there's a time when you have to deal what you've put in the bowl. Like you get to the end and there's the 16-year-old girl who like is going to weigh it for you, and you're like, $7.82. It's like, wow, I didn't put that much in there. And Paul says, new Christians, you need to set your heart and your mind on things above. Because you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. 
And so don't let this culture that you live in trick you into thinking you can put whatever you want inside of the bowl and still have a renewed heart and a renewed mind. Because it turns out where you have your heart and your mind set matters. And then he kind of makes a strong shift from sexuality to anger. And he's concerned about them in this way. And so there's kind of five categories. We can talk about anger. We can talk about rage. We can talk about malice, slander, and filthy language. So the first three, like anger, rage, and malice, like those have to do, I think, more with like attitudes, like what we feel. We can feel anger. We feel rage. We feel malice. But then the last two, slander and filthy language, speak more to like how things are expressed. So what does anger do? Anger kind of simmers. Uh, Like anger is kind of the moment when you're enjoying too much popcorn and it gets stuck in your teeth and you can't get it. And it's just there and it's bothering you and you grab your toothbrush, it's not getting out. You grab the floss, it's not getting out. It's just, it just gets underneath your skin literally That's kind of how anger works. It's usually not just in one volcanic explosion of emotion. That's rage. That's the next one. So anger simmers, but rage explodes. Rage is the moment when the boiling water takes over the pot after a a certain amount of minutes. The pot can no longer contain what's inside. Malice desires harm. Malice is saying, like, I hope that you have to pay for what you did to me. And the sooner the better. Whether that's someone in your circle of relationship, or whether that's someone on the road, or I don't know, maybe someone on the internet. I hope you pay for what you did. And the sooner the better. And it's just a long way from the way of Jesus. Because Jesus will talk about, like, rejoice when you are persecuted. And he'll say, turn the other cheek. And he'll say, if you have anger buried within, deep within your heart, like you're guilty of murder. Slander, what does slander do? I think slander announces. Like somebody got in your way, somebody hurt you, and all of a sudden you are the newscaster on Dakota News Now or pick your favorite local news station and you're just telling everybody about what happened. You need everybody to know the way in which you've been hurt, the way in which you've been wronged, the way in which you've been wounded. Filthy language. Filthy language attacks. So filthy language has a, has a victim to pursue. It is things coming out of your mouth directed at another person that, have, that has nothing to do with the Jesus way. And so I just have a question that's really significant this morning for everyone to consider. And it's this. Baming put the picture up on the screen. Like, what do you do when you have six eggs left. Like, which one are you? 
Number one. Any, like, number one people up in here? Okay. Some. How about number two? Who's the number two person? Got to be careful. It gets wobbly. How about number three? Any number three? Okay. How about number four? How about you're like, what in the world? Why are you asking us this? <laughs> Everybody. I'm asking you this because I want to ask you another question. I want to ask you, like, what's your anger MO? Like, how does it develop inside of you over time? And then how is it expelled from you? How does it develop and how does it tend to come out differently for different people? Differently in different situations. You're like, well, Dave, it depends who's watching, duh. What's your anger MO? If it's true that we died and our life has been hidden with Christ and God, and if it's true that we're setting our mind and our heart on things above and not on earthly things, it's going to change how we deal with this. It's going to change how we think about sexuality, absolutely, but it's also going to change what happens to us in the context of anger. So what's anger, what's rage, what's malice, what's slander, what's filthy language really about? I think it's about desire and demand. So what's desire? Desire is I want something and I'm not getting it. I want something and I'm not getting it. What's demand about? Demand is about, well, if I don't get the thing that I want, then someone is going to pay. And that might sound intense, but it's true. Because we make people pay for us not getting what we want. Sometimes we make people pay with having a super bad attitude. I can remember being a 14-year-old working at Hy-Vee, and oh, if we did not have the right frozen peas how someone would lose their ever-loving mind. Paul says, you guys, you died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. So would you stop setting your mind on earthly things, things that pass away? Would you stop setting your heart on earthly things, things that will pass away? Anger and rage is about desire and demand. So I just want to ask you today, like, what do you want? Like, if it's about desire, I want something and I'm not getting it, and it's about demand, if I don't get it, someone will pay. I just want to ask you what you want. Like, do you want to be on time? Do you want to, uh, I don't know, appear together? Do you want other people to think that you have the equation solved in your mind? Do you want to appear successful? Do you want to be right? Do you want to be noticed? Do you want to be included? Do you want to be liked? Do you want comfort and control? Do you want certainty? Do you not want to be second-guessed 
do you want to be listened to? Like, do you want to be the one to decide? Do you want to be impressive? Like, church, what do you want? Colossian Christians, what do you want? Because I just believe that when you experience anger and rage and malice and envy and slander, filthy language, there's something that you want. So what is it? You will get angry, you will be full of rage, you will have exhibit malice and envy and slander and filthy language when there's something that you want and you're not getting it. It's really interesting, in the book of James, we were in the book of James a year ago, and I kind of went back this week, and it's really interesting, the fourth chapter of James begins this way, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Like, why are you guys fighting? Did, did that come out of your mouth this week? Hey, why are you guys fighting? He answers us. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So it's about desire. So here's the last question of the day. Like, is my life over if I'm late? <laughs> is my life over if I don't appear successful? Is my life over if I'm not liked? Is my life over if I don't know all of the answers? If no one's listening to me, if I don't get to decide and I don't look impressive, like is my life over? Paul wants to remind us and the Colossian church that it's far from over. Because our life isn't centered around those things. Our life is Christ. And what he has said about us. And what he has revealed is true about you. And about me. And so my life is not defined by who left me out. But my life is defined by who brought me in. My life is not defined by who wounded me, but the one who was wounded for me. So my life is not defined by who left me out. Like some person, some group of people, some situation. But my life is about the, the God who brought me in. And so it's not about who's wounded me. But it's about the one who was wounded for me in my place. The one who brought about, made possible this way of life. And so I wonder if there are some clothes that we need to get rid of. I got a little crafty this week. Don't be impressed because I just talked about wanting to be impressive. And so obviously the letters aren't perfect. So it just worked out as a beautiful illustration because it's very imperfect. Like, anybody wear this this week? And you know how clothes work. You're not supposed to wear it multiple days in a row if you're over the age of 10. If you're under the age of 10, you can do what you want with that deal. But as you get older, it's, like, less than ideal. 
I wonder if Paul's opinion of the Colossian church is that they just continue to wear this day in and day out. And is this a shirt, is this an article of clothing that you just need to be done with? I don't know. Let's take rage. Like anybody wearing this over and over and over? Like the people that you communicate with every day, your coworkers, your family, the last five people you spoke with on the phone, would they say that, hey, dude, didn't you wear that yesterday? Paul says, you died. Your life's hidden with Christ and God. So set your mind and your heart on things above. Do we need to be done with it? I don't know. Here's malice. Anybody wearing this? You want the people who have hurt you to pay. And the sooner the better. Anybody wearing this over and over? Maybe it's time to get rid of malice. About slander. About wanting everybody to know what they did, what they said, how they didn't show up. You know, a lot of people don't like to stand up in front and talk to people except when someone has done something mean to you, then we're very happy to do that. We're very happy to hold the microphone and say, oh, let me tell you about her. Let me tell you about him. Does that need to come down? I couldn't fit healthy language, so I had to say filthy words. Anybody been wearing this? Been attacking people for what they've said and done? Paul wants the Colossian church to hear, you died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. So of course the promise is that I will give you a new heart. And of course the reality is that your old way of life is not just going to dissolve. But what we're called to as followers of Jesus, as people who are not going to build our life just around doctrine, but around fruit, the way you get there is to fix your mind, not just on here, but above. And to fix your heart, not just here, but above. So if this week you're tempted to wear what you already put on, don't. And if this week you're tempted to again put on anger and rage and slander and malice and filthy language, I want you to remember what Paul has said. That you've died. And not only that, by the love and the grace and the victory and the kindness of God, you have been raised to life. So by all means, May we set our minds on things above and our hearts in that place too. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you today for your goodness. 
and your grace and your kindness to us. Jesus, we thank you that we have been clothed in your kindness and in your mercy in your grace and in your victory. And so, God, we, we invite you in this place and in these moments just to reveal to us what we have been putting on because, God, it's easy to put things on blindly. And I think for some of us in the room today, we've just been wearing stuff because it's familiar. We've just been wearing stuff because it's just what we wear. And there's an opportunity in front of us today to do some inward examination of heart to help us identify with you in your self-emptying, self-sacrificing love so that our mind and our hearts don't get stuck here. So that our minds and our hearts find their purpose and place above. So God, even in these moments, we give you authority to speak. We give you space to speak. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would whisper among us so that we would walk out of here claiming a little bit more than we did when we came in that we've died. And our life's been hidden with Christ in God. And so there's no performance that's needed because our life is hidden with Christ in God. And there's no shame that needs to bury us because our life is hidden with Christ in God. And there's nothing that's impossible Because it is the sacrificing, healing, powerful victor Jesus who's raised us. So God, would you help us in your strength and by your mercy, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being here this morning. We do a little activity after church, and the activity is we stack the chairs in stacks of eight. So it's Invitation Church, and everybody's invited, and we're going to invite you to count to eight at the end. So that's kind of how that works. Uh, I want to say before we get out of here, I know that this is an insane time in our world. It's an insane time in our country. It's hard. It's painful. It's difficult. Um, But as your pastor, I'm proud of how we're walking through this. Very much so. Uh, Because we don't have to walk through this the way that we are walking through this. There's lots of options. And so um, we could be filled with anger and hatred and judgment in this time or we could say just with all the faith we could muster like God what do you want to do with us what's the word you desire to speak in our day and in our time so I thank you for your flexibility and for your grace 
uh, and for your focus not just on here, but your focus on above. And so thanks uh, so much for being a part of this, this community. Uh, grace and peace.